0: In Matthew, the sixth chapter, I want to start with verse 30 and talk tonight about cultivating your faith, cultivating your faith. Jesus, on several occasions, speaks of those that had little faith, and then he also speaks at some other times of those that had great faith, and he often rebuked individuals for having little faith or where is your faith is one of the other things that he would say. So let's talk about how to cultivate faith and maybe even go a step further how to cultivate great faith. So first let's read in Matthew 6 and 30 and this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, wherefore if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, which ties in directly to cultivating your faith. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I've been listening recently to a podcast on one of the Audible, one of the book apps where you can listen to books. And I've been listening to history because I've always been fascinated with history. And I started out with, you know, history of the ancient world, listening to that. And as I started it, I was like, you know, there's so little information the further back you go, I thought, well, this will kind of be boring, but it wasn't boring. It was very interesting. And one of the things that I got out of listening to that is is what a different mindset people had back in the ancient world. And I mean, you know, thousands of years ago before our modern times, the things that they worried about, the things that concern them, things like having water for crops, and then at the same time having too much water like floods because the way the society was in those days it was not as structured as it is today you were often subject to the elements subject to the weather more so than we are today I mean we really in that sense we really have not made and so I was just thinking about that in terms of why Jesus would say something like this. And this was about 2,000 years ago. I'm not talking about four or 5,000 years ago when it would have been even less structured cultures and society. I'm not saying they were cave people living in caves. They were not. But the further society has gone along, the more structured it has become. And so Jesus, notice he says to them, why are you anxious about things like clothing and housing and food? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? We were having a little family devotion last night and talking about the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, where it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And then it goes on, that wonderful verse there, the seventh verse, where it says, and the peace of God, which passeth understanding, shall comfort your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. So we went around kind of around the room there and talked about what, what are you careful or anxious? That's what careful, full of care means. What are we anxious about? Don't worry, guys, I'm not going to give away any secrets. But after everybody, including myself, kind of said, well, this is what we're anxious. You know, we ha- we have anxiety from time to time about. And I went to this and said, you know, isn't it interesting that we don't have anxiety about food, shelter, clothing, housing, you know, I grew up being housed my entire life. You did too. You are now, if you're still at home, under your parents' homes. So we just don't think about things like that. We think more along the lines of, you know, I've got anxiety, you know, over how many followers I have or don't have. Or I've got anxiety over, you know, peer pressure or, you know, whether or not I'm fitting in and, you know, paying the bills and, you know, having enough money left over, you know, to take a vacation. Put it in perspective about the things that we worry about, that we're anxious about. And I'm not saying some of those things, I mean, you need to be a little anxious about making sure you've got enough money to pay the bills and so forth. But what we grow anxious about is not the same thing as what they grew anxious about back in those days. Food, shelter, clothing, drink, water. And Jesus addresses that. Now, he also addresses things that we grow anxious about. And this ties into how we cultivate our faith. Think about what you're anxious about. Think about what disturbs you and makes you have anxiety. And you might, if you look at this and compare it to that, you might, you know, get a little tickled at yourself. I can't believe I was anxious about this. I've I've looked in the mirror a few times in my life and thought, you know, why was I worried about this? You know, the Lord took care of this, or maybe I shouldn't have been so worried about this. Okay. Now, there are things that we do grow very anxious about, rightly so. You know, our health, when somebody gets sick, death. And then of course, these things that Jesus lists here. Notice he says, take no fault about these things. This is a way that we learn to cultivate our faith. Worry about things that are worth worrying about, but we should not worry about things that we have no control over. Notice he says, these are things that the Gentiles seek after. Entire structures of false God worship were built around such things as food, shelter, and clothing. You know, the Greeks had a God for everything. Uh, the Romans had a God for everything. You know, the God of the harvest, the God of, of, the, of planting, the God of hunting, the God of love. The, the, all of these different things, there was a God for everything because they were so superstitious about everything. And by the way, that's where this, this cultural phenomenon of, of destroying the firstborn came from. Because they thought that if they would you know, abort their firstborn, that that was a sacrifice to the gods and their crops would grow. Because they would give that firstborn, that first fruit to God. It just blows our mind to think that's the way that it was. But if you, if you take a reality check, if we had lived back in those times, we would have been among those groups that did just that in, in their cultures. So Jesus is pointing to the things that they worry about. If you want to cultivate your faith that God has given you, you have to analyze the things that you worry about. So also remember this. Faith is the gift of God. You know, you don't go out and find faith. You don't go out and search for it. Never once does Christ or the apostles say, this is how you get faith. But over and over they say, this is how you cultivate it. This is how you augment it. This is how you grow it as you live and serve God. Okay, so faith is the gift of God. Faith is something that God imparts to every born again child of God in the new birth. Now, it it takes some time to learn how to cultivate and use that faith. But a child of God has it when they're born again. I've said this many times. Abraham did not have any greater faith than anybody sitting under the sound of my voice. But he certainly learned how to use it. Effectively, Did he not? So that's the, that's the key here that I'm talking about. Learning how to use your faith effectively. Now let's look at some other occurrences where he refers to little faith. Notice he said, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now let's look over to Matthew the 14th chapter. I want to begin reading in verse 24. Very familiar portion of scripture where the disciples are in a ship and the sea is being, and the storm is tossing them about. Verse 24: But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is very, very early in the morning, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. You see that? Wherefore didst thou doubt? And as I've said many times, and you've heard me preach about it before, this was not an act of tremendous faith by Peter to go out and walk on the water. He's trying to get out of the boat. And the other guys are probably angry at him or upset at him, miffed at him because he's leaving them. Those, those guys are just going to drown and Peter's going to go off walking on the water with Jesus. This was not an act of great faith. Jesus says that, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now I want you to notice what happens. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Notice it says, Only after he calmed the storm did they then marvel at him and acknowledge him. That's very interesting. If you look back over to Matthew the 8th chapter, let's look at verse 23. Very similar circumstance. Matthew 8 and 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Now this time he's in the ship with them. And he's just sleeping while the storm is going. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Now follow along. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, but the men marveled. Now you understand, just like over here, when Peter walked on the water and was demonstrating little faith, they did not marvel at him until he calmed the storm. And here in this circumstance, where Jesus was in the boat and he calms the storm it says after he did that the men marveled saying what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him so it doesn't sound like they learned a whole lot between storms does it is that not how we often are with our little faith do we learn between storms that we face in life Why are we just marveling when Jesus does something amazing like that? You see, they didn't marvel until they saw him do something amazing. We should be marveling if you want to cultivate your faith. If you want to cultivate from a little faith to a big faith, Jesus is to be marveled at all times. See, not just whenever he does something miraculous. That we can spend a life lifetimes marveling at what He did at Calvary. That's why we look back. And I've often said this: that if that's all the Lord ever did for us, if all He ever did was save us, prevent us from paying for our sins in hell and burning for all of eternity, well, don't you think that's enough? I mean, that's plenty right there. If He if He never left us a church, a place to come in from the cold of the world and to fellowship with one another and to hear about what He did. If He hadn't done that, if He hadn't even given us any information, and the first time we get to understand anything about what He's done is when we get to heaven. And we wake up in heaven and we say, Thank you, Lord. How did I get here? And He explains all of that to us because we'd have perfect knowledge at that point anyway. You know, He didn't have to tell us anything. He didn't have to do anything for us. But isn't it enough that He just spared us from paying for our sins? But we're often like any, everybody else, if we, we're the same way. You know, we sometimes look at the Lord as a genie in a lamp, rub the lamp, and get our wishes. But I'm just going to tell you, the greatest wish that you ever, if you ever even, never even realized it, the greatest wish you could ever have is to be spared from the lake of fire, from paying for your sins, and eternal torment, and on top of that, being with the Lord in heaven and beholding His presence for all of eternity. That's enough. But God is so good. He's such a good parent. He's such a good father that not only has He given us that, He's left us the church. He's left us His kingdom here on earth. He's left us fellowship. He's left us the gospel. He has left us gifts. He's given us gifts that we can understand what happened to us when He did that on the cross. And 2,000 years later, Here I am still preaching about that, talking to you about that uh, that marvel. I marvel at what the Lord Jesus Christ did. If He never stops a storm in my life, I can look back to what He did at the cross and I can marvel at that. But they waited to marvel at Him until He had actually calmed the storm. If you want to cultivate your faith and grow your faith, marvel at the Lord Jesus Christ not just when you're in a storm and He calms the storm, but as you go along, whatever your circumstance may be, He is to be marveled at. See? They had to see Him perform something special in order to marvel at Him. And that's the way we're geared. You know, we are geared. I, I mean, there's nothing I would like more than to see the Lord do something like that. Don't get me wrong. That would be amazing for the Lord to show up and instantly, you know, just snap His fingers or speak. As a matter of fact, when Brother Luke was preaching on Sunday, I can't remember the exact scene that it was. I don't know if it was the woman who was healed from the issue of blood. It was one of the scenes that Brother Luke was describing. But as he was sitting there describing it, I was, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I saw that in the Chosen series. <laughs> And and it got me fired up because I'm a visual learner. I love to see things like that. And and it's just some Hollywood actors, you know, up there doing this and they're presenting this. And, you know, in a a wonderful way and somewhat accurate. Some of it's accurate. Some of it's not too accurate. But I was like, I saw that. And that was so amazing. (laughs) And it got me fired up. Because I saw it. But, you know, I didn't really see it, did I? I just saw some Hollywood actors portray that. I wasn't there. I didn't see him heal and do what he did. But I can, by the eye of faith, I can marvel at what I read about the accurate accounts of what Jesus did. You see? We haven't had television, but for what? You know, less than 100 years, we haven't had anything like that. But you can go along and marvel at the Lord. You might be in a storm, a physical storm. You might be in an emotional storm, a spiritual storm. I think that's where we more often find ourselves is in the emotional and the spiritual storms of life. But you can marvel at the Lord as you go along in those circumstances. You understand that is a way to cultivate the faith that God has given you. Practice it, see? But we often go to the other extreme, don't we? We just kind of give up and say, oh, Lord, you know, why is this happening to me? And, you know, some folks say, why are you doing this to me, Lord? when, you know, nine times out of 10, he's not, you know, we often do things like that to ourselves, get ourselves in these fixes. But if we haven't done anything to get in those fixes, like Job didn't do anything. And what did he do? Well, until his miserable, comforting friends came along, he was praising God in the midst of that. He was marveling at God in the midst of what he was going through. You know, and he didn't even do anything to get in that situation. So whether you do something to put yourself in that situation, you know, these apostles, these disciples, they didn't cause the storm to come upon them, see? But Jesus was with them in the storm and they should have been marveling even in those moments. Peter saw Jesus walk on the water and he still had to be rebuked for having little faith. It should not take us seeing the Lord with our own physical eyes Or watching a a good TV show to get fired up. We can marvel at the Lord because God has given us the faith inside our heart to do that. Now look, what I've been talking to you about has more to do with, you know, like a physical situation. Like, you know, maybe lack of health or or a physical storm or an emotional storm or turmoil and tragedy. You know, you can cultivate your faith no matter what comes upon you, no matter what you're dealing with, if you are marveling at Jesus and what He's done for you, okay? But it's even more than that. Look over in Matthew, the 16th chapter. Here is another rebuke by Jesus for little faith. Matthew 16, and let's begin reading in verse 5. And when His disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven, which goes in bread, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so the, they reasoned together. They came among themselves and said, "Ah, oh, he's telling us this because we have taken no bread. Physical bread. That's physical, see? And then Jesus perceived in his omniscience what they were saying, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O oh, ye of little faith. Why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? You understand he is rebuking them for a lack of using their faith to understand what he was saying. Y'all get that? This is not just a storm that's tossing them to and fro. Oh my goodness, we see Jesus do something amazing. No, here he is rebuking them for their lack of faith or their little faith for not thinking. You get that? Not putting two and two together of the obvious lesson that he was teaching them. And don't sit there and say, well, we would have got it, wouldn't we? We'd have been just like them. So you say, what's he getting at here? He says, when he perceived it, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye you have brought no bread? Did you not yet understand, neither remember the loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? That was Jesus, by the way, who did that, who created new loaves of bread and new fish in order for the people to eat. Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000. See, he did that. He did, uh, there were 12 baskets to take up for the 5,000 after he fed them. And then there were, was even more to take up after the 4,000. How many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Y'all get that? This is a rebuke for having little faith and failing to cultivate their faith to understand what he is saying. So don't just think it applies to the circumstances and the happenstances and the things that come upon you in life. It applies to how you sit down and put your eyes on this Word of God. You can demonstrate little faith. Now, May I take a step and just say that is probably the greatest problem with Christendom today. Failing to use our faith to understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Most folks will just take what somebody told them or what their preacher says. That's the last thing I want anybody that listens to me preach. That's the last thing I want them to do. You know, I want them to hear what I say and check it out by the Word of God you know, because I might get off base at some point. Having great faith, having cultivated faith, means that you yourself take upon yourself to study the Word of God and learn more and marvel about the Lord. So you see, marveling about Jesus is more than just looking back by faith and seeing. Look at what he did at the cross. Marveling about Jesus is looking to the Word of God now and understanding what he says and what he means. But we're so prone to follow. Our circumstances are what's right in front of us. The disciples were hungry. See, they were hungry because they'd not taken bread. And that's when Jesus says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they were thinking in their minds, oh, he's saying to us, don't eat any bread that the Pharisees or the Sadducees offer us. By the way, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were on two different ends of the spectrums in terms of what they taught. They both combated each other and they were wrong on both sides. Neither one of them were right. And so Jesus was saying, be very careful about taking any doctrine or teaching from these two opposing camps. And they thought, well, the next time I see a Pharisee or a Sadducee and he offers me bread, I'm sure not going to take it. <laughs> see, they just didn't, they didn't put two and two together. And it's easy for us to put it together because we see what he's saying. So they, they get together and they have this little powwow among themselves. Can y'all see them discussing that? You know, Peter's there and Andrew and John and James and all those guys, you know, Simon, Simon the Zealot. And, you know, probably Judas Iscariot was even there at this point. They're sitting there having a conversation now. Have y'all ever seen any Pharisees or Sadducees offer you any bread? Uh, I think maybe they had a bread store You know at the last town we were in. I mean, they had this little conversation about something that's totally ridiculous. They've gotten off base. They've gotten off track. And that's what happens when we fail to cultivate our faith and understand the Word of God. Can we say that practically all of Christendom today does that? Let's pray to God that we don't do that. That we can see clearly what God says and cultivate our faith so we can understand more about Him. Without exception, we've had people that have come to see the truth through the years, whether it's Brother Luke or others, that have shared with me. The list just goes on. Some of you sitting here, it could be practically all of you sitting here, that when you've come from somewhere else that was not making the connection, you know, there's just all these loose ends floating around. And when you finally come somewhere and that connection is made, that it's a relief and it helps you grow and it clears your mind and you see Jesus better. See, that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus does right here. He says, oh, ye of little faith, don't you remember? You guys are sitting there listening to your stomachs growl. And maybe you are tonight waiting for soup and sandwiches, too. Who knows? Maybe you can identify with that. But these guys were sitting there listening to their stomachs growl. And they were having this conversation about, you know, is he talking about literal bread? And Jesus says to them, I'm not talking about your stomachs growling. Don't you remember? I can feed your stomachs just like that. I fed 5,000. I fed 4,000. See? That's not what I'm talking about. He said, I'm talking about do not take any instruction or teaching from the Sadducees or the Pharisees. Can we look and see how that applies to us today? Do not take any instruction from the religions of the world when it comes to Jesus. Because there are religions out there that say, well, Jesus was a prophet or Jesus was a good man or something along that line. But even when it comes to Christianity... If you are approached by a teaching that does not give all glory to God when it comes to salvation, then we must say the same thing that Jesus... It's going to lead to you having a little faith. You know why a lot of people today have a little faith? It's because they believe in a little Jesus. Think about that. A little Jesus who just can't get it done. He's just not quite sovereign enough. I mean, you know, He created the world... If if you believe in the account of creation, which I do, and I know you do, he created the world, he created the universe, he bedecked the universe with stars just with the tips of his fingers, and he created the animals, and he created everything within the world, and the water, and and land, and all of these things, uh, the plants, and then he created man, but he's just too little to get into your heart. Are you kidding me? That's a little Jesus. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The reason a lot of people have little faith today is because they believe in a little Jesus. Very quickly, let me show you a couple of characteristics about cultivating great faith. In the book of Matthew, the 8th chapter, in the 10th verse, I'll summarize what's going on here. Jesus marvels at this particular man and he says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, this is the account of the Roman centurion who had a servant that was dying. And this servant that is dying was his favorite servant. And the Roman centurion is not a Jewish person. So basically, the Roman centurion sends somebody to Jesus or comes to Jesus from afar off and basically says, come and heal my servant. Jesus says, I'll come. And then the centurion says, just speak the word. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. That's interesting, isn't it? I don't think this Roman centurion had a pride problem. He was very humble. And he said, you don't even have to come to my house to do this. He says, I'm a man that has command over other men. And I say to this one, this soldier, go here and do this. And he does. And I tell this other soldier to go there and do this. And he does. And he says, just speak the word. You're that kind of man, but much greater. (laughs) He just says, just speak the word. And Jesus looks at him and marvels. Isn't that amazing? He marvels. And he says, There's nobody that I've met in my native land that has a faith that is more cultivated than this man right here. He believes that I can just say, do it, and it happens. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He said, be healed. And the man, the centurion, goes home and he finds that his servant is healed and he's no longer at the point of death. And it it was around the same time, it was at the same time that Jesus spoke those words. So great faith, if you want to cultivate great faith, it's being humble. It's being humble to a fault. You hear me? If that's a good way to put it, because I don't think you can be at fault for being humble. But being humble to being sincere, not just, out, Well, you know, somebody says, well, I'm a very humble person. That's not a humble person at all. A humble person doesn't have to tell you that they're humble. You, can, you pick up on that as you're around them. A humble person feels Unworthy. And that's what he said. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Not worthy. That's a great characteristic about cultivating faith, cultivating great faith. One more place, Matthew 15. And we have another account. I know you Bible readers are very familiar with this. We jump into verse 28, Matthew 15 and 28. And I'll give you the background. Jesus answers and says to this woman, O woman, great Is thy faith? Could that be even any more plain? Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This is another non Jewish woman, just like the Roman centurion. It's very interesting that the two examples that are given in the Word of God of great faith are non Jewish people. The people that should have been cultivating great faith and, and had the oracles of God, the law of God, and had all the information about God. There was not one person in the nation of Israel that Jesus looked at and said, you've got great faith. But it was a Roman centurion and it was a Syrophoenician woman, a Phoenician, somebody that was considered to be a dog by most of the Jews. As a matter of fact, you'll see that she comes to Jesus while his, he's busy with his apostles and she is rebuked four times. She comes asking for her, for her daughter to be healed who was vexed with the devil. Another request for healing. She asks for her daughter to be healed who was vexed with the devil and you know the disciples just turn her away. Then she keeps asking and the disciples say she's still asking and then she comes to Jesus And Jesus rebukes her. He says, I'm not come to deal with dogs at this point. You see, the Greeks, the Gentiles, all of those guys, when it came to the Jewish people, they were referred to as dogs, unclean dogs. And notice he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meet or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. He just called her a dog. Now, that would be some kind of defamation or libel or slander lawsuit, you know, today. Somebody would get all up in the air. If somebody posted that on Facebook, you know, they'd, that'd be a mile long worth of comments. But you know what? That was not an issue for this woman. It was not an issue. You know why? Because she's humble. And she's seeking help for someone else, her daughter. She says in verse 27, truth, Lord. And here's one of the most beautiful lines in all of the Word of God. They're all wonderful and beautiful. But this is an amazing Confession from a sinner contained in the Word of God. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You know what she just said? She said, I may be a dog, but you're the master, and all I need is just a little crumb. That's a great way to cultivate your faith. You know, if we come before God and demand and say, Lord, you know, Look at what I have to offer. And, you know, and, and I'm worthy of you bestowing you know, these things upon me. A lot of folks go around thinking, well, I'm worthy of God having bestowed salvation upon me because look at what I did. You see, that's not humble and that's not great faith. Lord, I'm not worthy to have anything you've ever given me or ever will give me, much less my salvation. I'm not worthy of it. I'm just a dog. But Lord, you're my master. And whatever you give me, whatever crumb I can get from you, will be you see she was rebuked four times two specifically by jesus and he called her a dog and she continues to pray and to beg and jesus says "O woman great is thy faith be it unto thee even as thou wilt and her daughter was made whole from that very hour i hope we can see cultivating our faith it's not rocket science and it's not magic It's being humble, recognizing the Lord as our master, that he's already done something for us that we can never repay in our salvation and not coming before him with a deserving mentality. Look at what I deserve. Lord, I deserve for you to do this to me. No, the centurion said, I don't deserve for you to step your foot across the threshold of my door. And the Syrophoenician woman said, I may be a dog, but you're the master if you'll just let me, you know, scooch up to the table. i got to tell a little story on Frankie, you know, Abigail's little dog. Of course, you know, I've said this. I was always against having animals in the house. That's just, that's just me. And, you know, since Frankie is not really a dog, he's just a, he's just a shrimp, you know, I've made an exception. But we'll sit there and eat at the table. He doesn't come to on the table by any means, but we'll sit there and we'll eat at the table. And little Frankie, you know, he'll back up on his hind legs and just stand there, you know, waiting for somebody to give him a crumb. And you know, lo and behold, I just can't stand it after a while, and I'll toss him a little crumb or something. You know, I know some of y'all are just thinking you're a pitiful old softy. And Frankie, you know, it may sound crazy, but when I do that and I look at him, I think of that Syro woman that's how she pictured herself she's just a little dog begging at the table of god i hope that's how we see ourselves you we're all little frankies is that a terrible analogy (laughs) we come before the lord and we just beg lord just a crumb but our god is so good to us that he gives us more than a crumb you see He just gives us a meal. and, And the funny part about it is our master, our God, will get down there on the floor and eat with us, you see. It's amazing. When we cultivate our faith, look to the examples of the Word of God, find ourselves being humble, understanding we don't deserve anything, our God in heaven looks upon that like He did the Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, and He says, that's a marvel, that's amazing. Here's one of my children. And they have cultivated great faith. I hope that's been profitable and helpful.